48-hour art check. Best of podcast. We go live Monday, Wednesday, Friday on YouTube. 9 p.m. California time, and you can join us there live in the chats or watch them later. You can always check things out at coreykerr.com slash 48HR. We take the best conversations from those live streams and rip them and put them into this podcast. Today's topic is, we're going to graze the surface of the topic of semiotics. And so why I thought that was an interesting topic is um, semiotics is like, yeah, uh, I'm going I'm to try to, I'm going to give an attempt at defining it, but it's basically a symbol that translates to um, textual or, or data, like meaning of data, um, that, that's basically represented with the symbol. And so semiotics are usually considered like one of the higher levels of thinking, um, and, it, and it's definitely a specific trait that, that's pretty unique to human beings, as far as we know. And, um, and to me, I find semiotics to be a really cool topic. There's some things that I particularly find um, interesting about semiotics, um, and, and part of it is because the act of creating comics is kind of creating semiotic symbols. Um, creating art is like creating semiotic symbols that have um, deeper meaning, even though it's just indicated by, by um, much simpler marks. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's kind of, I think, um, I think I find it fascinating. Um, yeah. And, that and if that, if that doesn't make sense, um, the, the basic gist of it is that we all have a symbol system. And, and comics are an excellent example of this. Um, there's no reason for us to believe um, that certain lines mean certain things, but as a, as a society, um, we've all agreed that lines in a specific organization are conveying some sort of thing. So, for example, um, if something has flies flying around it um, in, in a comic, then we know that that thing smells, right? You know that that thing smells bad. If there's a if there's a squiggly mark above someone's head and it tapers to a point, we know that that person is angry, right? Yeah. There's like there's certain symbols that we've that we've agreed to, and it it, it even it even uh, extends beyond that um, to to be somewhat. I think semiotics can be useful and they can be extremely problematic, and so yeah. um, one of the things that a good um, drawing instructor will do if you are a student that is basic and starting out is try to break you out of that symbol system because with the symbol system, it's super useful. Like I don't have to read the word stop on a stop sign to know what I need to do. I see a stop sign. It's a, it's an octagon. It's red. There's white lettering and a white border on it. Um, that communicates to me a series of actions and muscle reflexes that I should, that I should do to slow my car down at a certain speed. There's a lot of math and instinct that kind of just kicks in at that point yeah. in time. Um, and so symbols can be super useful, right? In, in a number of different ways. Um, but a good example is ask someone, ask someone who has never learned observational drawing to draw a hand and tell them they can take their time. And what they all draw is they all draw a hand with all of your fingers completely spread out and totally rigid. That's mm -hmm. the semiotic symbol, right? Which is redundant, but that's the semiotic for a hand. But that's not what hands look like. We don't walk around. We don't like wave at people like this. We don't like yeah. try to try to pick things up like this. And so, the upside of semiotics is that 
once a symbol is established, we can use that to communicate. But the downside is that um, if you are not aware of your own symbol system that's ingrained in your brain, um, then it will get in the way of your art because you will begin drawing super cliche things or, or yeah. things that don't even make sense. Um, yeah, and so I think the the thing tying into that, that um, with students, you know, it's like I, I think – um, one of the key things that, that makes the difference between somebody who kind of ends up keeping with art and somebody who gives up on art is that uh, there's a certain age where you are kind of trained, and I think it, it might be a bad move on the part of school systems, where they're training kids like you draw a house and it's a box with a triangle on the top, there's which a... is a little more representational than some of the semiotics they learn, like, this is what a cloud looks like, and it's right. not what a cloud looks like. This is what a face looks like, and it's two dots and, like, a curve and um, in a circle, you know. And and some of those semiotics are really destructive to observational drawing right? because um, you start programming your mind to kind of go with the semiotic of um, culture. I wouldn't call that the only semiotic because we're, we're pretty much peddling in semiotics making art. Yeah. But – it's it's cliche semiotics that we want to avoid, um, and yet there's some beautiful semiotics that I feel are underutilized in like cartooning and in art. Like for instance, like the sweat bullets. I love sweat bullets. I think they're amazing. <laughs> I, uh, um, for those of you who aren't familiar, it's like you know um, in old Mickey Mouse cartoons when he'd get stressed out or like you know it, it, like a little worried, like these little beads of sweat would like fly usually two on each side would kind of fly out. And I think that's great. Or the scribble. Um, I, I really like that angry scribble above the head. And I think those things can be used, but the difference being, you shouldn't be relying on them. Um, and I think that's what Corey's talking about is like a lot of the time you'll have art students who kind of started relying on uh, semiotics as a crutch rather than as a communication tool and um, sometimes, like, once again, sometimes it's better to use a wide vocabulary than, like, really obvious words, you know? Um, yeah. And so, yeah. And yeah. Abe, Abe in the chat is bringing up some examples. Uh, spider sense, right? We, we've, we've been taught, those of us that have read Marvel Comics have been taught that spider sense means, you know, there's, there's squiggly lines that are kind of emanating. Now, those don't exist in reality, right? We're, we're not... No one looks at that and thinks that Peter Parker all of a sudden has grown lines out of his head. Those are an indication of his spider sense, right? Or, um, you know, the sharp lines out of somebody's mouth when they're yelling or whatnot. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think those are really good examples. I'll, I'll tell you an example from my own personal life. I was drawing uh, the Tongue Cut Sparrow, which is a Japanese fairy tale that I finished earlier last year. And... Um, uh, there's a lot of foliage, a lot of bushes and a lot of whatever. And I I kept drawing all these bushes and I kept just trying to figure out why my bushes looked so bad, why they looked so off. And then I realized that I had not looked at a bush. Like I hadn't, yeah. looked, I hadn't pulled up images of bushes and I was pulling solidly from my symbol system, which, which um, had come from uh, like Disney cartoons 
like yeah. old Donald Duck cartoons and stuff. Like Donald Duck doesn't have feathers. He's got two little um, kind of jagged lines that indicate the idea of feathers. And the rest of him is just a smooth line, right? And I was doing the same thing with my bushes. I was like, bushes are round. And so I do this little cloud thing. And I'd be like, but it's not a cloud. Here's two leaves to tell you that it's not a cloud. And then once I actually recognized that that was happening in my work, I looked up a bunch of art. I looked up a bunch of yeah. artists that were doing things um, with bushes and stuff. There was there was a particular ep- issue of Wonder Woman where she was in the jungle, uh, and I looked at how they were doing that, and then I was like, "Oh right, yeah." There's a pattern, and there's you know, and so I started looking at how nature actually has patterns. And now that I've broken out of that simple system, I can draw and ink uh, foliage almost without looking at anything because I've, I've rebuilt that part of my brain to, to, to have a more complex series of symbols rather than that. That's based on observation rather than mm-hmm. based on, uh, based on other people's artwork and based on, uh, you know, just ideas and concepts. And so that's a good example of how you could recognize a flaw in your, in your, in your art because of a symbol and then, rebuild a greater and deeper and richer series of symbols that you can use and control. Got it. Okay. So now I want to go kind of, um, should I say macro? I was about to say, um, but, but anyhow, I do think we should take this to a different level on the topic of, of semiotics while we got like a minute or so left. Um, so what's interesting to me is that, um, the semiotic form of telling of sequential storytelling predates all the way to, like, Egyptian hieroglyphs, to Roman columns. Um, It's been, like, comics in themselves, sequential storytelling through art has has existed for a really, really long period of time. Um, And what's interesting is a lot of people equate, you know, semiotics to to higher intelligence and to to intelligent thought. What's interesting is... um, semiotics infer that there's like a deeper meaning. And um, what's what's been interesting to me, and this is just a little side note, but it's just something I find fascinating, is that like um, even in science where things are really reductivist um, and move down to like the small, smallest particle and then it's let's take apart the smallest particle, it's all going to be, everything's going to be composed of something simple and something simpler and simpler and simpler. And to me, one of the most fascinating things, and this is just a mind-blowing thing, is that um, when you get down to DNA, it's actually semiotic. And so um, there is semiotics composing our very being. And so like, when you're working on comics or you're working on art, realize you're getting in touch with the same form um, that is composing our very elements, our very DNA, which I think is kind of cool. <laughs> so would it be would it be fair to say that um, uh, the more generalized your visual semiotics are, uh, the more dangerous they are, and the more broken down and specific and granular they are, the more useful they are. That's that's probably a good point. Um, I, I I would say um, there's there's this really great thing that I think Chris Ware um, talks about a lot, and I think he's very effective at. And I don't think everybody who uh, you know buys into this theory should like emulate Chris Ware. Um, and my art by by no means does this because I'm not like drawing like icons. You know, I'm, I tend to be drawing like a lot of cross hatching and useless detail. <laughs> 
But um, one of the things that he harps on um, as as a reason that he executes comics the way he does is that it dawned on him after trying to do comics for years and years and years that comics should read more similarly to music notes because of their semiotic nature. Um, they should be something you can follow on a sheet and then play in your head. Um, and so to him, like the more clear and concise the story is within the panels, that's what it's about is clarity and conciseness. Um, and this is something to be aware of no matter how complex your art is. Um, visually, you should be able to play that story from left to right very easily. And um, so I would say that clarity is going to make your your semiotics effective. Um, and then personal personalization and style is how you're going to make your semiotics look different from an airplane manual, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And I would, I would, I don't know if this is disagreeing or adding to, but I, I actually think that uh, clarity is super important, uh, but completely and totally useless if it doesn't land with some sort of emotional impact. And so the, thing, the things that we remember are not necessarily because of the clarity of them, but because of their their impact on us, the effect that they have. And so I will remember very, very clearly um, moments in a book that I've listened to or um, a comic that I've read or a movie I've watched because yeah. of the truth in it and, and the way that truth plays out uh, in my nostalgia or in my guilt or in my love or in my joy you know, and, and you can see that, you know, I, I have, for example, a, a real quick example, because we're out of time. Uh, I have like a very strong connection to uh, Joseph Conrad's short story, Youth, um, mm-hmm. which, is a, which is a great story, but not necessarily as great as I think it is, because it, I read it at a time in my life where I really needed that. And I was on my first real motorcycle trip. I was living on the streets at the time, not, not permanently, but because I was on this trip. Um, and so everything was very raw and I was, uh, I didn't talk to a lot of people for weeks on end because of, uh, because of what I was doing. And so that story had, had a significant impact um, because of the, the timing and the environment. Um, and that's why I remember it because I'm reading it now and I'm actually, or I just read it a month ago again. And, and I'm actually like, Oh yeah, I'm remembering this, but I'm remembering it in the context where I read it before. I'm re- remembering those moments in the story that I read yeah. because I imagine reading it next to that stream or on the beach or, yeah. uh, you know, at that one diner that I stopped at, you know, or whatever. And so that I think, I think the impact of it is important. Now the, the clarity is also important, but I think you can be completely clear and, and, and very, uh, communicate very well. Um, something that doesn't land an impact and I don't think it's going to last. I, I agree. And so I think to tie this together, because I think we are kind of in agreement, um, it, it's that the, the clarity, it, it, keeping with that music note analogy, the clarity is like the, the clarity to be able to have the notes read so that someone can play it. However, what they're playing could be complete crap if you're writing bad music. Right. Yes. That's good. <laughs> so, so, you know, um, so clarity is just to kind of compose 
but what you're composing is is kind of tying into what Corey was talking about, where you should be composing stuff with heart, and I think we'd be in agreement about that. So, yeah. but um, let us know what you guys think about semiotics. I feel like I could we could probably talk for like hours on semiotics and the implications of semiotics and um, and the, the downside of common semiotics and all, all sorts of stuff. But uh, yeah, and thank I think, you. I think in the future, I think uh, a thing on cliche versus originality would be really interesting as it pertains to semiotics and other things. So I we love should, it. I'll, I'll note that down. Yeah, I love it. All right, well, um, thanks so much for everybody who joined us in the chats. Uh, you can check out my work at quarterlystories.com. You can check out Corey Kerr's work at coreykerr.com. Um, and then if you are following this on iTunes, please leave us a nice five-star ranking and uh, a review because we're you know trying to get the podcast heard by as many people as possible and that helps that happen thanks to everybody and i uh, hope you guys have a good day